Welcome to the Halloween special of Cinema Smorgasbord. With me, as always, is Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Oh, Doug, I'm so spooky and creepy. Is that a thing? I'm a, well, I'm, ha- I'm haunted. I'm haunted. Actually, that's really what I. I, I don't to think say. your creepiness has anything to do with the season necessarily. Liam. <laughs> oh, you really got me there. You really, you really got me. Liam, it feels like we have talked about our, our own individual Halloween traditions many times on our various shows on the Cinema Smorgasbord Network. I think that's probably true. It's certainly something that, as it looms up in our calendars, it's on our minds a good deal. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're spooky people, you and I. Well, it's true. It, it, <laughs> I, I will say, like, you know, that there's always this small tingent on social media, right, that when people start getting excited about Halloween, there's always someone going, well, Halloween's every day for me. Like, yeah. okay, cool. Well, here's your fucking award, man. Like, what do you want? Like, you know, there's no one I know. There, There is no one I know, like, who I think is cool, who even works in horror, like, making horror, who isn't stoked on Halloween. Like, just sure. be stoked about Halloween. It's fun. It's fun, all right? Like, yeah, the fun thing isn't, isn't your excuse to do spooky things and watch horror movies and all that. It's that the whole world embraces it at the whole time. Right, as a, right. And it's not, not necessarily the whole world, but certainly your your local world is embracing it at the same time. It's nice to see the decorations, unless right. you're uh, Joyce Carol Oates, and it's nice to see... The movies playing and the availability of the movies increases during that time period. And sure, I mean, we're talking sure. about it from a movie point of view, but that's certainly what our, our interest kind of centers upon. Yeah, I mean, nice I, be- I also enjoy it in other ways. Like, I, I get some spooky comic books. I might pick up a horror novel and, yeah. and dive in. I, I certainly bought my Monster Mash cereal, you know, like... I'm participating in as many venues as possible. It's just movies are the thing that we will focus on more than others. And honestly, as a dad of a four-year-old, it's hard for me to make time for a spooky haunted house because she's a little young for that sort of thing. (laughs) Uh, Liam, this is going to be kind of a loose episode of Cinema Smorgas, but we're usually very tightly structured. I'm a little obsessive about it. I don't know if you've noticed uh, this. That's Uh, weird. No, I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I'm sure the listeners actually have not noticed that, but really (laughs) our shows tend to be very tightly structured in terms of the order of what we're going to talk about. I just want to, in this opening segment, ask you if you have seen any other recent horror films we're here to talk about two horror films we've been very good they're both 2021 horror movies yeah Uh, just from this year last year any recent horror movies stick out to you let me let me mention a a a good a good uh example and a bad example right sure very recently i watched the film that most of social media is in agreement about and then there's always the convergence disagree and that's halloween kills i watched halloween kills and uh i hate i hate to 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 be boring but i agree with the majority on this one that's a bad movie yeah people do not like it at all i i'm i'm with them it's uh there's a lot of for me uh the part all of it's pretty bad Um, But the part that's the most bad is that I think it's meant to be a message movie. Yeah. I think I think there's like a thing about mob mentality that's supposed to be like see how this small town is going crazy but not really helping. They're like the MAGA people, huh? Huh? And I'm it's like adding something that's supposed to be at least somewhat thoughtful to a movie that's this bad just makes it extra bad. It'd be like if someone served you like 
uh, actual human feces and then put truffles on it, and you're like, uh-huh. God damn it, fuck you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's how it feels to me. Uh, although truffles, I'm, I'm overrating this so much. It's more like just put like cheap whipped cream on it or something. But uh, but the, are the but, truffles the murderers in this case? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. Uh, but you know, it's I mean, it's not the worst. I, I won't go as far as people declaring it the worst horror movie ever made. Come on, like. You know, science craze is right there. Like, you don't need to. Hey, come on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's bad. I don't, I won't go on and on about it, but it's it's not very good. Uh, I will say, um, go ahead. I was just going to ask, did you like the previous Halloween film? You know, I will say I, I actually liked it more than I think. Uh, I mean, that I, I think the response to that one was more mixed. There are people who liked it. I, I thought yeah. it was pretty good. I didn't think it was, like, amazing or anything. But, you know, it gave me what I wanted. I guess the the... To some extent, what I didn't like about that movie kind of happens here, too, which is, like, there are characters that you're obviously meant to care about, and then there are characters who don't mean much. Right. And and it, you immediately know all the characters who don't mean much are there to get killed. Right. So then this movie's like, remember all those other characters you didn't care about? Here's some more you don't care about. Yeah, they're going to die. And it's like, I don't – that's not – that's not as much fun for me. I mean, I guess it's it's – I mean, part of this is probably my bias, right? Like. I'm not even though I grew up with them, I'm not as invested in slashers in general. So sure. mm-hmm. you know, that 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 being a trope where you're like, Oh, I know a lot of these people are gonna die. I think for some people that might be fun and for me it's it's just not. Like it's just it it takes the stakes away for me. I think you're right. I mean I mean I again I have not seen the uh new Halloween film, but the, certainly the response to the previous film I thought was I would say it was mixed to positive for the most part, but yeah. Overall, it didn't feel like people had a strong reaction to it. Like, I mean, some people loved it, I'm sure, and some people hated it, I'm sure. But generally, a lot of people met in the middle, but I think it leaned towards positive. This one, there's a lot of anger towards it. And it's so strange to see the same creative team just a couple of years later, you know, with all the same people involved, make a movie that people have kind of uh, rejected so outright. Even though I've seen I've seen a lot of people who love it as well, but it, I, I don't know if those are... The fans of the series who dislike it, or people coming at it from maybe a little fresher. Are, 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 I have to admit, I love the original Halloween. Of course, I do. Sure, but the the, the series does. I don't have a lot of affection for the series as a whole. I like the third one, and I actually I think you even told me on social media a few days ago that it's like you like the first and the, th- and the third, and the rest of the series you could pretty much take or leave. I believe it was actually on an episode we recorded that someone's oh. probably listened to already. Mm. Uh, you brought it up, and I said, yeah, I really just think the first and the third are the strong ones. But maybe not. It might have been off mic. But, um, yeah, it, it, the Halloween 2 is fine. I don't hate it, but it's not great. Um, and starting with Halloween 4, I just – they're fine. Like, c- considering the breadth and depth of what can be bad – they're not actually as bad as I think some people remember them as, right. but it's because they bear the name Halloween. You know, it's like uh, it's like w- when you have a favorite band and that band has three amazing albums and then they just take a nosedive and everything sure. is like kind of bad. Those bad records are probably still better than your local bar band, mm-hmm. but 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 they're they you know what they're capable of. For me with Halloween, it's like uh, even if I'll, I'll I'll put two in there, even though I don't love it. You've got a run of three movies that are pretty solid, and then everything after that just doesn't even compare. It's just not even and, – and that's what I'll say about the 2018 for me. It's the first one that, while not as good as that first three, is still like above the rest where it was like, okay, this is pretty good. Maybe the team that made this movie could take it up another notch so that Halloween Kills would be a step ahead. So right. what's frustrating is to see it – 
I mean, it's sub Halloween five as far as I can tell. No, I haven't watched Halloween five in a long time, but that's how it feels to me. Is that like this might be one of the worst in the series, and that's like that's a bummer. I think. I think. Do you that have any strong feelings uh, either way on the Robert Zombie films? I mean, I've already said he doesn't have many movies that I like. Oh, I didn't yeah. say it on. I didn't say it on. My well, no, you did. You were t- yeah, yeah. But I mean, at the very least, um, but I do think that. Though his Halloween films are still kind of outliers in his filmography, people have strong opinions about him. Yeah, I mean, I just think uh, I think the first one's bad, and then I think the second one is interestingly bad. Yeah, and that's about <laughs> it. That's 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 the extent. That's the extent of that. And like I said, like for me, Robert Zombie, uh, you know, has has one has one uh, uh, weird anomaly that is Lord, Lords of Salem. What's that? Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Lords of Salem. Yeah, Lords of Salem. Yeah, that's like watchable and and interesting. It's still not great, but I like I enjoy it. You know what I mean. Um, but the rest of the movies, I'm just not in. I don't, I don't have a, I don't have a blood oath against, uh, you know, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses or Devil's uh, Rejects. Devil's Rejects. Those are both fine, but I don't enjoy them. They're just like mm-hmm. okay, it's okay. I guess this is what his vibe is. But Halloween is like painful for me. I don't understand how anyone loves his Halloween, and then the sequel is just, it's weird and interesting. It doesn't make it a good movie, but it's, you know, there's something there. Anyways, I didn't mean to spend this much time on Halloween stuff, Doug. I was trying to pivot to another movie. Oh, what was the other movie? Uh, so um, this is, a, I actually caught this last year, but it's wow. more recently becoming available for other people to see because it was at a <laughs> it was at a festival and then it took a while yeah. for it to get distribution. It's called um, My Heart Can Only Beat When You Tell It To. It is a off-kilter vampire story. Uh, that I don't want to say too much about because there's a lot to be spoiled therein. But I found it, um, you know, sometimes with a horror movie, you're just not going to reach the depths of terror and fear that maybe some films are capable of. So if if you take that concept and then you pivot towards uh, emotionally devastating, that also works for me. That's also a like, oh, this is kind of spooky, but also it's like really sad and like really hurts my heart. That works for me as well. And that's where this movie goes. It's like it's a little creepy, a little scary, but then it becomes just really like um, heart wrenching. And hmm. that, you know, the, you know, five points. I, I loved it. I thought it was really great. So, like I said, it, it played an online festival and only now it's starting to like be available to the broader public so i wanted to hype it up again because i was i was pretty excited about it when i saw it but then it disappeared right no one could see it so i didn't that is an interesting thing that happens with festival screenings sometimes particularly when it comes to like low budget horror and things like that where uh they are waiting for distribution and sometimes they don't get picked up and then you maybe never see it again or see it in a very small release years later but oftentimes they get picked up, and then you see distributors wait for the right time to release it. Right. And it could be a movie that you saw, you know, two years ago, and then suddenly it's out there in the world. It's it's like, yeah, that's the movie I've been talking about for two years, and then people see it and they're like, oh, it's not that great. <laughs> that's, that's, I know that's well, how it goes. I remember seeing uh, your next at Fantastic Fest, right? And then it then me being at the Philly premiere two years to the day that I saw yeah. it at Fantastic Fest. And, like, you know, I was so excited for people to go. And people still <laughs> liked it, but, like, I don't know if anyone was excited as I was because I had the excitement of seeing it at a festival right. and then it disappearing. So, like, no one else could tell me what they thought. You know what I mean? So I was like, this movie's a fucking masterpiece. I still like it, but it's just not as good as my, that memory of it as seeing it at the festival. So, 
that's a movie that a lot of people have very strong negative feelings toward as well. I mean, I think at this point it's it's very well lauded. I think they just did a uh, like a ten year retrospective. Um, like oral history on one of the big horror websites. And I think a lot of people like it. But uh, when I first mentioned that, actually, it's one of the few horror movies that Jill and I have watched together, and she enjoyed it very much. And I was talking afterwards on social media. It's like, yeah, we watched it. It was really, really good. And lots of people came out and saying, like, I fucking hate that movie. I don't know what the vitriol towards that one is all about. I, uh, you know, 100% what I think. And I'm not trying to disrespect people, but it's because it played festivals and then got snatched up for a significant amount of money and sure. then rode hype for two years before people finally yeah, saw it. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. Poison, it poisoned the well, man, which is like, by the way, why studios are stupid. Like, they picked it up before Halloween. Like, yeah. pick it up. And then release it ASAP. Don't sit on it for two fucking years. What's wrong with you? <laughs> the hype becomes poison at that point. Yeah, I also think that, that it, there is an element of cleverness to that script that some people rejected outright. You know what I mean? Sure. Where it's, yeah. it, you know, because it's trying. It, it's it is another thing that we see amongst a lot of horror fans. I don't know if it's as much uh, a, a common over the last few years. Where any movie that tries to play with genre conventions, there's going to be people who th- interpret that as the movie thinking it's smarter than the genre, and they're just going to reject it outright. Yeah, that's probably true. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, don't be me wrong. Like, I'm not saying there isn't, um, I'm not saying there isn't the option of a movie being too clever for its own good. I think that does happen, but I, I don't know. There is a sort of like. A frustration from people with that, like like anyone who's trying to try something new, has a little bit of a hill to climb with fans. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about the Hatchet series? I've only seen the first one. I haven't seen any of the sequels. Uh, no reason not to. I, I thought the first one was pretty okay, um, but I just haven't made an effort to see the sequels. It's weird. It's it's a series that I'm kind of glad exists because there is a certain level of slasher fandom who really need movies like that because they're exactly the sort of thing they like, which are kind of bare bones, they, like not too uh, up their own ass, let's say, uh, not too uh, modern in a lot of ways. And people have really embraced that series, but they are not for me whatsoever. I'm not a big slasher movie fan anyway. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm glad those people have those movies. I don't want to watch them. That sort of thing. The thing for me is like, I'm not against slasher movies. I'm not like whatever, but it's so... It's weird because there's other things I enjoy because they're basic. It's not the basicness of them that I don't like. But um, for me, I'm so familiar with the genre that, like, something has to excel in some way or be different in some way for me to be interested. Whereas, like, um, there are other – like, I don't think I maxed out, for example, on, like, haunted house movies. You know what I mean? Like, I don't love them. They're not my favorite kind of horror movie. But – I probably could be more interested in a well-executed one, whereas, like, a slasher... I mean, part of the issue there, too, is, like, it's just not that scary. Like, there's something very upsetting about cosmic horror that, like, makes me question reality. But, like, you know, there's a there's a crazy guy or gal with an axe. All right. I mean, that's cool, I guess. Whatever. You know, it's just not <laughs> that interesting. You know? It's. I do feel like that there's a certain audience that, that loves the motions that those movies go through. You know what I mean? Where it's like it's the predictability and the it is like it's like a comforting thing, and it is the point 
for those people. And I mean, that's fine. I mean, again, it's it's obviously there's a lot of love for those kind of movies. They just have never appealed to me even since I was a kid. And, you know, when I first got into Jolly, to me, it was like, oh, that's what these are supposed to be. Right. They're just they also are not interesting on a plot level, but at least they're very stylish and there's a lot more elements to get connected to. I think I just enjoy them more simply because there's more impressive things to look at. That's possible. I mean, I also think some Gialli have really weird plots, and that oh yeah, I, absolutely. I find that I find that interesting as well. As like, what do we think is going on here? I also love the Gialli supernatural fake out. Like, I don't know, guys. Maybe it's a ghost. It's not a ghost. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right, Liam. Uh, let us take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about our first of two films today: VHS ninety four. Police search warrant. Could be no one left alive in here. Do I just press the button? Press the red button. Just press it. I assume they're paying extra for this. Yes. This is a remarkable story. Hello? Hello? A police SWAT team investigates a mysterious VHS tape and discovers a sinister cult that has pre-recorded material which uncovers a nightmarish conspiracy. Yes, it's 2021's, this year's, VHS 94, (laughs) the fourth in the VHS series, uh, featuring, of course, a a bevy of directors, a whole bunch of directors, a a murderer's (laughs) row, let's say. Uh, Simon Barrett, uh, who people, of course, know uh, as the producer and creator of the series, writer of The Guest and You're Next. Uh, His segment is called The Empty Wake. Stephen Kostansky, uh, uh, director of Psycho Gorman, The Void, Father's Day, Manborg. That's part of that. What's that collective called? Astron 6. Yeah, it was uh, the the late lament. Yeah, now he's he's doing his own stuff now, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. But which, by the way, Great. I love him. Love him. Uh, he does a short segment called The Veggie Masher, which is like more of a commercial than yeah. it is a full movie, but it's still worth mentioning. Uh, Chloe Acuno uh, does a segment called Storm Drain, uh, director of the upcoming Watcher, uh, r- friend of the show and former guest on <laughs> Eric Roberts, Ryan Prowse, the man himself, uh, directs a segment called Terror. You may know him from his movie Low Life, which if you don't know, Stop the podcast. Go watch Low Life right now because it's fucking awesome. Uh, Jennifer Reeder uh, does a segment called Holy Hell, which is really the framing piece of the of the whole anthology. Uh, and sh- she directed Knives and Skin. And uh, Timo Chijanto, Chijanto, I think is right. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, who we recently covered one of uh, his early movies, right? Um, yeah, Macabre. Macabre we recently covered. Uh, he does a segment called The Subject. If you don't know Macabre, also directed Killers, Headshot, The Night Comes for Us, um, upcoming Train to Busan remake, which people have mixed feelings on, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, this is this is the fourth one of a series of uh, horror anthology films that really, when it came out, was part of a almost like a wave of horror going on that a lot was coming. I'd say a lot of energy was around because of festivals like Fantastic Fest and uh, and, uh, uh, some of the After Dark stuff in Toronto. Doug, I know that you are familiar with some of these filmmakers. We even have hung out with one of these filmmakers. Uh, We should also (laughs) put our, you know, cards on the table, uh, friend of the show, and, you know, really someone who's helped us a lot is one of the producers, major producers of this thing, Josh Goldblum, a guy who runs Cinepocalypse. People might have 
have seen uh, if you watch this uh, the online, you probably saw the Cinepocalypse logo created by my friend Justin Miller that says uh, fascist filmmakers fuck off. Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, so cards on the table were a little biased towards this movie in a positive way, but that doesn't mean we necessarily loved it. Doug, what did you think of VHS 94? It's so woke, <laughs> Liam, that I couldn't possibly enjoy. No, uh, this this is a series I have a lot of time for, though I have to say I don't love all of any of the previous entries. Agreed. Um, there's a few uh, there's a few segments in uh, all of them, except for the third film, which I haven't seen, uh, that I really dig and I think are really superior in anthology films generally. But overall, I don't think I've ever been fu- fully satisfied with one of the VHS films until this one which I really do feel like is the best of the series, and its high points are very, very high indeed. But you know what really makes this movie for me is is the running order. I feel like yeah, the movie yeah. improves as it goes along, yeah. and then it peaks at the right time. So watching it feels like a very satisfying experience in a way that, um, that, that actually, you know, Timo's uh, did a segment in one of the previous films that was terrific right but that one didn't feel like it was as well ordered so it felt like that was the high point of that movie and then everything else was a downhill slide right afterwards this one doesn't have that problem i think that the weakest thing uh, about this movie and i think a lot of people agree on this is the framing story though that's i mean it's a little unfair with a lot of anthology movies there's almost none that that exists that have a good framing story but- uh, uh uh tales from the hood is the only one i can think of where the framing story for me is perfect the only other one that comes to mind for me liam is asylum the uh, 70s oh yes uh, you're right i forgot one, yeah, which has yeah, a really yeah, yeah. cool very good, very framing good. story but yeah but generally they're really terrible and this one is just kind of a lot of people shouting at each other uh and the acting is a little shaky on it as well and it doesn't really go anywhere it just seems a little half baked uh, compared to the actual film itself, which uh, the segments, you know, they feel like they're pretty, um, they're pretty well developed for the most part. I will say, you know, it's it's you really do kind of have to rank them when you're talking about them because they exist in their on their own as well. There isn't some sort of like thorough line within the stories themselves outside of the uh, aesthetic, which is meant to look like 1990s shot on video type material. Um, and in terms of I mean, I really do like them all quite a bit. I do have to say that my least favorite of the main stories is probably the Storm Drain one. I know it's the one that people are quoting the most from this film, but um, Hail Ratma. Yeah, the people. I mean, and it's fun, and it's it, it. I think it's well done for what it is. It just didn't didn't stick with me as much as the uh, as the other segments. I think Simon Barrett's The Empty Wake is really really well done, and it culminates in a really fun, cool, interesting way. Uh, but really, the highlights of this are the final two segments which are Timo's the subject uh which is this some sort of like body horror action ridiculousness and in particular and I know he is a friend of ours and it's it I I am not just blowing smoke I thought Ryan's terror segment is the clear highlight of the entire film and I know that that doesn't seem to be a a consistent feeling about this I think a lot of people lean towards Timo's because it's very out there and very wild but I thought Ryan's segment is so funny and so timely and so well done because it captures the look in a way that the rest of the film doesn't do quite as well. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And it has a concept in it that I've never heard anyone attempt before. It's a vampire spin that is really, really unique. So yeah, I really dug it. I thought VHS 94 was, was um, about as satisfying an anthology film as I've seen in recent memory. 
I'm going to go ahead and agree with you. Um, I, I, uh, like I said, I'm pretty close to this movie because of being friends with Josh. Uh, but you know, as much as I love Josh and, and I don't know if he's going to listen to this. I love you, Josh, if you're listening, uh, if it sucked, I just tell him like, I, I, you know, I'm that jerk friend. If you're someone who is a creative who needs a friend, who's just going to puff you up because sometimes you need that as a creative person, you need someone who's just going to like be your Liam putting half stars on his letterbox. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's just not, that's just not me, man. I'm just not that friend. That's just going to like, I, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll puff you up as a person. Like, you know, if your movie sucks, I'll still let you know that I care about you and you're a great person <laughs> but i'm gonna let you know the movie's bad and, and i thought this was really good uh, it, it's not perfect i think uh the first time i watched it i i there was a lot about holy hell that appealed to me like i i think some of the imagery that is in it is really compelling sure. um but on multiple watches it does drag and the acting is like noticeably not there you don't just know not what the there. deal is with that. It just seems like the idea of certain some of these characters just screaming the same names at each other again and right, again and again. Right. Yeah, it just gets but, to be, gets to be numbing. But for me, this is such, in my mind, obviously the superior movie in this series. I mean, I, I have a little bit of a bias towards it in some ways because I feel like that first one was a lot of like uh, – it was all male directors with a lot yeah. of stories that had negative images of women. And I mm. don't think that was intentional, but when it was pointed out to them, I also think the creators were like, Oh, everybody has a point. That's a little weird. <laughs> so, you know, but for me before this movie, VHS two, I don't even remember if it had a funny title, but I, you know, the second one <laughs> yeah. what was the superior one, you know, it yeah, wasn't absolutely. perfect, but most of the stories are good. In fact, the only one that I, I actually hated, which other people liked a lot is the alien one with the little dog camera. Right, right, right. Because I don't like when aliens move like zombies. We can fly interdimensional or you know post intergalactic spaceships, but once we land on Earth, we're gonna stumble around like weird zombie creatures. Fuck you! I don't like. I don't dig on that. Um, my, my man Jason Eisner directed that one, but I I have to agree. I'm not a big 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 on it, especially because yeah, yeah, yeah. it comes right after Safe Haven, which I mentioned. I kind of attributed to Timo, but of course he co-directed that with sure. with Gareth Evans. Sure, sure, sure. Right. True, true, true. Uh, and then uh, and then for me, VHS three was just utterly forgettable like yeah. i couldn't name you anything about it it just went in and out whatever this movie is so much stronger to me uh the only place i'll de- i'm gonna agree with everything you said doug except for i actually prefer storm drain to the empty wake um hmm. interesting I-, I don't know what it is i found the empty wake good but a little tedious for me Okay, that's, I mean, I think that's fair because it's such a simple concept, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas the Storm Jane, what sells me on the Storm Jane is A, having explored Storm Janes, the feeling of, oh my God, what the <laughs> fuck is that? Like, it got under my skin in a real way. And right. B, I just, I, I like the Ratma thing, man. I think they really nailed it on that weird creature. Like, I think that's, I mean, that's what I needed to sell. It was like, if you're going to show me Ratma, it's got to be fucked up. And for me, that worked. Uh, granted, I also agree with you that the the subject and terror are the highlights. And again, I'm not trying to just pump up Ryan because he's our buddy. <laughs> terror was my favorite. I just, I love the concept. I love the portrayal. I love that, I guess for me... It's a it's a thing in which there's a lot of development of our scenario before scary stuff starts to happen. Yeah, and I felt like everything that's leading up to uh, the the true terror of the ter- of terror, everything leading up to it is still interesting and compelling. I'm still like invested in a very strong way. It was so good that I was like, 
a longer version of this would also be fun. Th- that's what I, I remember. I wrote it on Twitter after I saw it. I'm like, I would watch a full length version of this I as agree. a fleshed out story. One of the things that's so great about it is that it doesn't spoon feed you what's going on. You no. see this character getting murdered again and again, and you you have to piece the parts together to figure out what the larger story is. And I mean, that's when that's a you, trust in the audience that I was not expecting in an anthology movie. When did you figure it out? Like, when did you like put the pieces together? It was. It wasn't until they did the test explosion outside. That Agreed. I, I yeah. Out. yeah. Yeah. And even then, when I'm like, why did they put in the buddy? And then they're waiting for the sun to come up, and that's exactly. when it clicked for me. I was like, oh. But then I still didn't know it was going to explode. I was like, all right. So like, there the sun's going to come up. Then what's going to happen? The buddy's just going to melt. And then it exploded. And I was like, this is fucking perfect. <laughs> so yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. So cool. Um, okay. Let's go. Let's pull back a little bit. You know. Uh, how do you feel about anthologies? Like for me, this is not only just a strong version of VHS. This is a strong version of anthologies in general. But I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm just not a big anthology fan. Doug, do you love these sorts of movies, or do you feel like you know iffy on them in general? I love anthologies. Actually, I'm a huge, huge That's fan awesome. of them. Generally, it, the problem, of course, is that most of them are not. The problem isn't that they're not great, though there are a lot of really bad anthologies out there, but, I mean, there's lots of bad movies generally out there. It's that the creative forces behind them are... They tend to let them down a little bit. And maybe it's because there's a lot of bad framing stories, which is something we've already mentioned. But a framing story doesn't really matter that much as long as the segments are good. Like, my favorite anthology of all time is uh, Mario Bava's Black Sabbath, right? And that movie... Uh, particularly in the Italian version, which has a different running order. And um, actually, not only does it have a different running order, one of the segments is completely different because of um, the dubbing and uh, compared to the subtitling. But that, to me, is a movie that builds a lot, very similarly to this one. It's not similar in terms of subject matter, but it, it builds in the sense that every segment is better than the one before it. Uh, and it uh, it starts strong, and it has a visual consistency, not in terms of its style, but in terms of the person who's kind of helming it. I do think that in an anthology that has different directors, it faces a lot of challenges because it's almost impossible to have the whole thing feel coherent. And I mean, that's something that, that has, there's some difficulty in VHS 94 as well. There's a lot of different kind of subject matter and tone on that's true. here. But it, I think the, 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 the medium allows for variety in a way other uh, anthologies maybe restrict a little bit more. Absolutely. I also feel like, d- despite the fact that this is called VHS, VHS 94, this feels like a very 2021 collection of shorts, or segments, I should say. It feels very modern despite its aesthetic. Um, and I, I like that. I mean, maybe it, it, those kind of ideas don't necessarily age well, but I actually think that this is going to age better than some of the segments in the first VHS. Um, but in terms of anthologies overall, you know, one of the series that I really enjoyed, even though it has left almost no mark on pop culture, are the ABCs of Death series, right? Which is a different kind of anthology, and those are incredibly inconsistent. And I would note that the worst segments in those films are some of the worst of any horror movies. Like, they're unwatchable at times. But just because there's so many creative voices all in this kind of, you know, three-minute segments from all of these different directors, you get a really distilled version of a lot of uh, the inspiration behind a lot of these directors. And I get really excited by it, even though a lot of it was just not very good. I just like that idea, though. But what we have discovered, especially with the recent kind of slate of anthologies over the last 10 years, is that it is so hard to tell a good story in a short amount of time. And the directors who can do that, they're special, right? There's something special about them that they're able to compact 
what they have to say in this short form. I mean, one of the things that um, that was notable about the recent Twilight Zone uh, uh, reboot that started a couple of years back, the one produced by Jordan Peele, it's like they're almost all not good, right? I mean, some of them are good, yeah, I should say. Yeah. But it's like there's no great ones. And that was almost the same really in the 1985 uh, reboot of the Twilight Zone. Compared to the original Twilight Zone series, which if you go back and watch it, it really is one of the most rewatchable TV shows because it's it's banger after banger. And some of them are just because of the time it came out, they became iconic simply because there was nothing like it. But there's just a lot of amazing half-hour uh, long stories, and that is, I think that's a talent that has been lost for a lot of people as movies have kind of stretched out and gotten longer. And one of the things that I think is most exciting and most satisfying about VHS 94 is that it, it there's a lot of stories that are self-contained and when you get to the end, the end of them you're like that I, that felt like a complete story to me yeah 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 I you know like my I think I'm unfair to anthologies myself because of the thing that you said which is like so often the this individual segments aren't great you know like so, sometimes anthologies feel like an opportunity to stretch yourself a little bit and take a chance, but that chance might not work. And so they're mm. exciting because who knows? I mean, it's the same as if you go to, for people who've been to festivals, and I, I don't want to have some sort of privilege thing because I know not everyone goes to festivals, but if you've been to a genre festival, there are always uh, short film blocks, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, the short film block, you're taking a chance. Right, yep. you're taking a chance because you could go to a short film block where only one of ten short films is any good, or you know, like that 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 the rest of them are all bad. But sometimes you'll go to a short film block and it's banger after banger. You're just like, whoa! Like, how did you get so many solid? Because you don't know, right? Like, part of the way that short films function is for filmmakers to either learn their skills or to uh, try new things or expand, and so that really leaves things open for high heights and low lows you know absolutely and so i think sometimes i unfairly judge anthologies because of that but it's also different to me to have a full movie of stories by oftentimes established directors sure than mm-hmm. me going to some short film block where half the people have never made a movie before or i'm, a, have never I'm made very a forgiving on yeah. those short film yeah. blocks simply because you're seeing People who, again, like you said, don't have their name out there. A lot of them are very experimental in a lot of the ways that they're trying to tell their stories. It's they're only it's only the ones that feel like they're playing it safe that I'm like, hey, don't waste my time here, right? I mean, right, right. <laughs> I agree, and 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 of course, because it is short, you have a lot more patience for something like yes, of course. Sometimes an hour and a half to two hours of a concept might be too much. So something that like especially like a lot of times early short, you know, people who are like new to short films. A lot of their films are a punchline, right? Yeah. They, there's mm-hmm. a, they, there's a, I say a punchline, which maybe feels denigrating, but what I mean is that there, there's a concept, and the concept has a, has a final note, and yeah. I think if I put two hours into something and there's like a, 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 a point at the end that's like kind of funny, I might be mad about that depending on what I was put through for two hours, but. Uh, 12 minutes, 15 minutes, I'm, I'm usually pretty stoked, actually, especially yeah. if it's funny. So, yeah, I, I'm into that. I, I'm into that a lot. Uh, I got to say, though, like, yeah, like, I, again, we don't want to overhype this. Like, like we're trying to be, you know, uh, objective here. But, uh, you know, part of my response to this movie is that I'm usually bummed on some anthology movies. So the fact that this was even the segment that we neither one of us loved, uh, Holy Hell, isn't painful it's not it didn't make me mad you know what i mean 
that's a step above some other anthologies I've seen, including some of my favorites. Like one of my favorite anthology movies of all time, Tales from the Hood, has one segment that I'm like kind of annoyed by. It's still pretty good, <laughs> but I don't love it, you know. And so like you know that's that's always a step above. So anyways, um, one of the things I've seen Doug on the social media right is that some people are not into this movie because they seem to think that it is, as you <laughs> joked earlier, a little too woke, which is strange. I, I you know, I don't know what they're talking about. Doug, you're famously a neocon. That's so true. you could just tell me, is there too much lib politics in this movie to be enjoyable? How do you, you feel know, about that? It's a strange thing because I had read some of those complaints before I watched VHS 94 and I went into it kind of anticipating it and kind of being excited for the idea of this having like strong leftist politics. But aside from that title card and the fact that that uh, Ryan's segment is about a group of people that could easily be mistaken for. Well, I mean, they're, they're, they are right-wing conservatives, but they're also uh, like a military group that are trying to do a terrorist attack on American soil. But, you know, the, the recognizable uh, right-wing figures, I should say, are in that film. Um, and also that the framing story are about a a police force-ish, I mean, it, that are not particularly competent. I mean, aside from that, I don't really see it as a strongly left-leaning collection of stories. I mean, they don't feel like messages. I mean, Simon Barrett's segment certainly doesn't have any kind of political uh, agenda behind it. And I wouldn't say that the, aside from the Storm Dream segment being somewhat about um, the exploitation of uh, people with precarious housing and things like that, it, it, it felt like it could fit into you know, it could also be a right-wing perspective on that. I mean, it's, it doesn't feel necessarily political in that way outside of maybe a few thrown-off comments. I mean, uh, the Timo segment, it, whatever political uh, perspective it has, I don't think it's an American political perspective necessarily. Sure, so, yeah, sure. Overall, I mean, I mean, yes, Ryan's segment feels political, but it also feels that's one of the things that's most interesting about it is that it feels very of this time while also feeling very accurate to the mid-90s as well. No, I, 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 uh, I, it's not that I was disappointed in it, but I was expecting more considering the complaints because the one that we're specifically talking about, there was a series, a person who was, seemed to be really into this movie and eventually seeing it, but their response was very much that like this movie, it, it echoed, it, it kind of shouted out its politics, but I didn't find that at all. Well, there's, I, I will disagree with you a teeny bit, Doug, in that there is one choice made uh, for the end sequence that I think puts a, a fine point on it. Do you know what the choice is I'm talking about? I'm not sure. But then again, I, like I said, I was, I, it wasn't I was tuned out for the framing stuff, but it just didn't No, no, no. Me. I'm talking about the end credits. Oh, no, please. Oh, the final song. Oh, it's the song, is it? Yeah, the song. Yes. Yes. Uh, So let me put, let me be very clear here. I'm being, to some extent, sarcastic. You know, friend of the show, Josh Goldblum, is a producer on this. He (laughs) wants all of your MAGA tears. If you're out there and you're like, well, it could be fun, but I don't like that it feels kind of like anti cop in some way or or that the movie has a bias or whatever, and you want to tweet about it, he wants that. Go ahead. 
tweet whatever you want at him. He's just going to drink that down like a fine wine. That's not going to bum him out at all. Because, uh, fuck you. Who cares? And and the funny thing about it is, I actually, as much as I think that choice is pretty funny, overall, Doug, I agree with you. There isn't that much politics here. There is a theme in the movie where a lot of the stories do happen to involve dead cops. But uh, the only one that has any bias in that is Ryan's story, and it's only honestly a true thing which is a lot of right-wing military groups in this country militias in this fucking country are supported by police or have police in them so like that story aspect might bum out some viewers but it's not a fantasy it's representative of real fucking life and if you don't like it then uh maybe join one of these anti-fascist groups even as a right-wing person you should be concerned that police and fascists are in bed with each other because they are all across the united states so like the you know it's for me it actually functions the way that it's what i would call uh if it was going the other direction we would call it a dog whistle you know i i call it it's a way for people who don't realize to reveal themselves because really what you're saying is I don't like that this movie is mean to fascists because that's the only really that's the only real political statement is clearly Ryan's segment is like these people are bad these are bad people yeah and and you should enjoy their suffering when they when they suffer that's it other than that there's no real politics involved so if you're like this thing bummed me out it's too woke oh it's too woke because it's not into fascists like you know what i mean like as much as i love that mdc song dead cops um it's just true the movie involves i mean it, it, the idea that it would say well timos is also political to what extent is it political it's just a mad scientist that releases these things and of course the police are the first responders who get killed now the police are kind of assholes in that segment but again you know you just you know you, you, you paint a duck the way it appears. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, anyways, I just think it's really funny. And, and I'm fine with if people are offended and they are not into it, that's sick. That's awesome. I love that <laughs> because it tells me more about you than you think it does. Um, it's a little bit easier, too. I mean, it, it, look, we don't have any uh, skin in this game outside of having some connection with some of the people involved. But that's not uncommon. We know a lot of filmmakers generally. But the, the, the fact is, if you are a believer in the uh, go woke, uh, get woke, go broke mantra well you have uh this is a, an example to the contrary because this is the number one movie on shutter right now yeah i mean a hundred percent and i and i think most rational people are watching it being like oh this thing's a fucking message movie what yeah. no no not so i again you it, it, it's so obvious that the whole thing is having fun and really only has a little bit of perspective to it that like if it bumps you out that's on that's on you buddy that's really yeah. on you um, agreed now, we picked this as part of our Halloween celebration. Uh, I wanted to ask, Doug, do you think of this as a Halloween-appropriate horror movie? I think anthologies in general work really well Agreed. on Halloween, right? Yeah. Because for the exact same reason you were talking about with short films as well, right? I mean, it's if, if it's not appealing to you directly, uh, it's a very kind of, of compressed version of, of a story. So there's usually a lot of action or a lot of frights in a short time period and if you're not into it you can just move on to the next one and the fact that these ones are so different like I mean really in terms of four stories they could hardly be more different Um, I think that it works really well as kind of a fun collection of I mean and this is this is how most anthology movies are it's a fun collection of short films and like the framing story the fact that it's not that great doesn't really matter that much because the stories are what matters here Uh, and, and the fact that they they build so well. Again, 
the Timo segment is the most bonkers by far. It is absolutely out there. It is tons of action, tons of gunplay, tons of violence. And so if you have an audience who just wants to be woken up and wants to uh, really have a lot of fun, then that's a segment that they're going to really respond to. And then it's followed by Ryan's one, which has a lot of humor and a lot of really unique ideas, and it has a great look to it, uh, filmed here in Ontario, Canada. Uh, and so, uh, I, to me, the fact that they, it ends with that kind of one-two punch, it is a great Halloween uh, you know, experience. I agree. Uh, uh, you know, this isn't a controversial opinion because obviously, as Doug pointed out, this is like the highest stream movie in, in Shutter history. But uh, we're still going to put our necks out there and say, you should watch VHS 94 if you haven't. Yeah. Uh, we think you'll like it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about another 2021 movie that uh, maybe doesn't have as much, but does have uh, a similar amount of buzz around it. We're going to talk about Censor. We'll be right back. This depiction is dangerous. Come on, ain't it? I'm cutting it. Butchery, sadism, murder. A wave of depraved and corrupt horror video. Confusing fiction with reality. Doug Smart, producer, Ident Investment Films. Maybe Enid could watch my latest Frederick North submission. Wanted a woman's eye on this film. There's this actress. I've got this feeling that's Nina. My sister. You know, if someone did take her, then there's still out there. You've never been clear on exactly what you remember. You'd be surprised what the human brain can edit out when it can't handle the truth. After viewing a strangely familiar video nasty, Enid, a film censor, sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance, embarking on a quest that dissolves the line between fiction and reality. It's Censor from the year 2021, directed by Prano Bailey Bond. This is her first feature after directing some well-received shorts previously. Also written by uh, Prano Bailey Bond, uh, along with Anthony Fletcher, who's her regular writing collaborator. He also directed the uh, 2012 documentary Tempest. Uh, this is about a film censor in the UK in the 80s uh, and involves the video nasty kind of scare that occurred at that time period. For those who aren't too familiar with video nasties, it basically it's a kind of a colloquial term that was popularized in the UK to refer to a, a selection of films, usually low budget horror and exploitation, that were distributed on video cassette that were criticized for their violent content by the press. That's something that actually uh, works into the plot of this movie um, very kind of directly because... Uh, the censors, they let a movie go through, and then it's blamed for some real-life violence. Uh, we have uh, Neve Algar as Enid Baines in the film. The great Michael Smiley appears as Doug Smart, Nicholas Burns as Sanderson. It actually has a really terrific cast all the way around. Uh, a British cast, of course, or Irish and British, I should say, uh, for the most part. Uh, I really, really do think that it's a really great lead performance. And this is a movie that's getting a lot of attention at the moment. Uh, so I'm really curious to get your take on it, Liam. It's uh, it, it is certainly a classier horror production than a lot of what I've been watching uh, recently. It's very polished, but it's also uh, covering some subject matter that really is not been 
trod over so much. And I know that there's a lot of affection for the kind of video nasty era for a lot of people, but it wasn't something I was even aware of until I was really getting into horror and exploitation in the 1990s that this whole kind of of scare existed outside of the idea that I knew that certain horror movies were not easily available in the UK. What did you think of 2021's Censor? I mean, the thing to say right up front is that this is a visually stunning movie. Like it's Absolutely. it's really beautiful. It's really well made, um, and I think that uh, the performances are really strong. Especially like I think a lot is asked of uh, Niam Algar, which Neve. It's pronounced Neve. Neve. I just want to make sure I have it there specifically because I would fuck it up otherwise. Yeah, Neve Algar. Uh, I think she is asked to do a lot that is not easy to do. Yeah. And I think that she handles it very well. Um, and I think, you know, the, the there's a lot of people who are kind of just almost like there to respond to her in some way. And so they don't have as much going on. So a lot of it is kind of riding on, on her performance. Um, that being said, uh, it's a film that while I'm watching it, I'm very engaged with it. Um, but it feels like the central idea here, and you know, this is a new movie, so I don't want to spoil it. Sure. But there's a certain aspect here that's about memory, perception of reality, and suppressed trauma. You know, uh, the resolution of those narratives just feels maybe anticlimactic, is what I want to say. Mm-hmm. All I know is that when it's over. I don't find myself thinking about it. it doesn't it doesn't leave an impact the movie and it, and while it has a a really strong vibe that vibe doesn't stick with me per se so it it has atmosphere you could say it's very atmospheric absolutely but it's not maybe as haunting as I think it's meant to be um I think a lot of that might come down to that ending, which yeah. it's not that it's a weak necessarily. It just did not. And I'm, I'm like, I have a similar feeling to you. It just didn't bowl me over in a way that I was expecting, particularly because it's a movie that really is all about leading up to that ending, right? It's really about how is all of this going to resolve. And the res- the resolution, it, it wasn't that it wasn't satisfying. It just, it felt very, it felt almost at one point that this is pretty much the only way it could go. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. But I don't know. I'm, I'm a little confused by it, Doug. Like, I just want to be, you know, upfront with that with our audience because while I'm watching it, I'm not frustrated. I don't think that the script is necessarily bad. Um, I, I do think, like, whatever's going on in her past, the movie puts a lot of weight behind the mystery of that. Like, there's a right. lot of investment in how. Right, right, right strange it is that something happened and you know it's not clear and all that but uh but that mystery doesn't carry the film enough and there's not for me maybe enough else going on with it i don't i don't know it's 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 i'm in a place with it where i don't want to be too hard because i still think this is like a like a b minus movie for me you know or you know it's it's still very enjoyable in a lot of ways but i just think that it, it almost promises more than it can deliver. You know what mm. I mean? It's it's like the paprika of horror films. <laughs> you know what my emotion is after I've had a lot of paprika, Doug? What's that? <laughs> I wish I had more paprika. Paprika is the spice that always suggests it should have more impact than it does, which right. is why when I heard it that Europe has paprika potato chips, I'm like, that's just torture, right? You'd finish the whole bag and be like, I don't think I had enough paprika. <laughs> 
that's this how the movie feels. It feels like there should be some sort of central punch, some sort of impact, some sort of like landing blow. Let's say like there there should be something there, and it feels like there isn't. It doesn't feel like. Uh, I guess the way that you put it off mic was, I feel like there's not as much meat on the bone as I want there to be. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly how I really felt about it. And maybe that's a little unfair, right? Part of that is probably based on the expectation. Simply, I've had a lot of friends raving about this film, and I can see why. It is visually stunning, especially considering that it was made on a very low budget by a first-time feature-length filmmaker. And the performances are terrific all the way through. I think Nia Malgar is absolutely amazing in the lead. And the the concept behind it is is absolutely wonderful, right? Just the idea of following a film censor who is struggling with their own trauma. I just think that there's so much you can do with that. And the more that it feels like a traditional horror film, the less I like it. So I think maybe that goes back to what I was saying in the in the previous segment about those kind of big swings. This film, it's not that it plays it safe necessarily. It goes into some weird places, certainly. But I do feel like in the last act it's safer than I want it to be. I'd like to have seen it really go off the rails in a really kind of unique way, but maybe that's just not the reality for a filmmaker trying to make, you know, a first feature that's going to be playable, that that people are going to respond to. And obviously a lot of people have responded to this. As I was mentioning before, Liam, the very idea of the kind of video nasties, about the idea of these movies being banned entirely because of their horrific content uh, is something that... I think it's almost become romanticized a little bit, especially because yeah. now these yeah. films are very commonly available, right? And there's a lot of hard hitter names on the 72 films that were banned in the UK in the 1980s. There's even podcasts that go back and watch all of the video nasties specifically. Uh, this is, not, you know, we're, we're far away from that era. I will say that one of the things I most like about Censor as a film is how empathetic it is to these censors. It's not, you know, I do think that there's been a lot of, because it, it feels like very much, a nannying perspective, and this was the era of Thatcher and the era of some other names in this kind of censor business who really felt very much like these figures of right-wing repressive uh, culture, that it would would have been very easy to portray these censors as being reflective of that. But it really does make them look, A, like normal people, and B, like people who feel an obligation because the news keeps telling them that if they don't do this job, that they're they're going to be directly responsible for violence, that they have a duty and responsibility to this. And you can see that's how they respond to it. Now, whether that's ridiculous or not, and I happen to think it is, but they didn't feel that way. So you can see why these people would have taken their jobs very seriously. If they didn't do it, somebody else would. So I think it's it's really interesting how they portray this job. But I do want to get your take on the video nasty list for a second, Liam. What is your favorite or one of your favorite or a couple of your favorite movies that were banned on the Video Nasty list? This is a hard question, Doug, because I'd say like 15 or so of these movies are some of the greatest horror movies ever made. Isn't it Uh, something? Just looking back at it now, it's just like, oh, right, banger after banger. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, don't be wrong, 17 movies, there's definitely some movies in there that you're like, well, that's a bit of a trash heap, you know, like even if it's even it's if it's charming, I'm not surprised it got banned because it's, you know, crazy. But there's a lot of movies in here that are kind of essential films. Uh, but if we're going for favorite, uh, so I just want to say, like, obviously, I love movies like Tenebrae, The Beyond, Zombies, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, it's, yeah. it's all amazing. But one of my favorites that's on the list is Possession. Like, it's, yes, it, that's a movie I've been obsessed with for a long time that also... 
I'm not surprised it's on the list. I'm not surprised that if we're going to be, if we're going to ban movies, which I think is a very bad idea. Sure, of course. Then obviously that's one of the ones that's going to make the list. Uh, but I also want to give an honorable mention to one that's been getting a lot of attention recently because it got has been recently re-released, is uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Yeah, I think, uh, absolutely. A solidly underrated queer horror film, as far as I'm concerned. And one that... Um, one that I think messes with its straight audience. Like I think, I think if you watch that movie, you might think it's going one way, and then when it goes the other way, it might mess with your if you are straight, your straight sensibilities because it turns out to be something else altogether. And I love that. I think it's a movie that plays better now than it would have played in 1981. I, I really agree. think it, it's aged incredibly well. Any movies on this list that surprise you to see there? Um. Uh, you know that's a good question. I have I wasn't looking at it for that purpose. Yeah, I know you weren't. And I'm, oh, the there was, I, isn't there a Bava movie on here? Bay of Blood is that on here? Yeah, Bay of Blood. Though it is probably his most violent or one of his most violent films. Still, I, I just think of Bava as like not someone I would. Uh, just because I mean Bava to put a Bava film on the same list as Island of Death just seems strange to me. You know what I mean? Like, I would also say uh, I get why. But the witch who came from the sea is almost—it's almost an art film. Yeah, so absolutely. it's weird to be like, oh yeah, the witch who came from the sea and absurd are on the same list. It's like very strange. Uh, I'm sure there's something else on here I'm missing though. Well, the, the, actually, what brought it to mind to me was Gary Sherman's Dead and Buried, which is a film I really, really enjoy. Right, but right, it's just like right, right. there's—it's not a particularly. I mean, it's intense at times, but it's I, the, I, no, it's the eye stabbing, Doug. It's the yeah. eye stabbing. I mean, it has to be. It's just weird that you see it next to films like you know, Cannibal Holocaust and SS Love Camp, and then it's just fucking old, dead and buried. It's a fun old, you know, old fashioned horror movie. Well, I'm sure it was on the list because they wouldn't cut the eye stab. I feel like if if you cut the eye stabbing, that movie isn't on the list. <laughs> so the the central mystery of Censor is about this character. Um, uh, Enid Baines, who is a film censor, who she has trauma in her past where her sister disappeared. And this is something that she deals with. She ends up watching a movie that has very similar elements to her real life. She starts uh, tracking down the people involved with it to see how they possibly could have known that or how they could have been connected to the story. She becomes convinced that one of the actors in that movie might be her sister, now grown. And uh, there's also a lot of guilt involved with her parents who, because she was with her sister at the time she disappeared, her parents obviously hold her somewhat responsible or believe that she knows more that she can say. I don't want to give anything else away. I think that 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 sets the stage of what the movie is pretty well. Um, what stood out to you in terms of, you mentioned already that this is a very stylish movie. Can you actually talk about that a little bit? Like, in which way is this a very stylish movie? It plays with uh, colors and lighting in interesting ways. It messes with aspect ratio in a yeah. certain in, mm -hmm. in certain ways. It often uses different kind of uh, uh, ways of seeing to sure. represent different understandings of reality. Um, again, I don't want to give away too much, but Enid uh, is losing her shit. Basically, yeah. um, and while you did say that the a lot of these censors are just people doing their jobs, I don't know that that's true of Enid, and 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 in fact, it's so untrue of Enid that I almost think that Enid sort of operates as the character who 
is allowing for some criticism of this system, right? Because she's the person for whom she thinks she's going to help the world by doing this thing. And that's I mean, like, she certainly she has an, an aura of Mary Whitehouse, who was the kind of conservative activist in the 80s, who was the uh, I mean, she's the, the name that usually is connected with the video nasty scare in general. I think she's meant to echo her in a lot of ways. I think she's even mentioned by name in the film. But I do think that she's still supposed to be sympathetic in her her motivations. Sure, but I also think she's not part of her intensity for doing this job is because she hasn't processed her own trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Like, like therapy would be more effective than being a censor, actually. I mean, it's one of the more interesting ideas behind it, which is if you have a person who's in charge of censoring art then what they believe and what their background is is, of course, going to play into the decisions oh, that they yeah. make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, uh, so a- anyways, all I'm saying is the, the movie is sort of built around her as she sort of is exploring this thing, losing her own connections to reality within the context of these movies. And I think the ways that it explores that visually are very interesting. Liam, I have a question that might seem a little loaded, which is... Have there been too many horror movies specifically about trauma lately? Um, I don't think so. Well, I my my initial response to that is no, because I do like a lot of movies that uh, do that. <laughs> I will say I did watch a newer horror movie that includes that theme that I think handles it poorly. So maybe if there are enough movies that I think are fucking that up then i'll start to think that that is a a a trend that should go away uh but i mean people are going to write about what affects them and we are living in an era where yes Mm -hmm. people have less suppressed trauma like i think a lot of horror movies were probably about trauma doug but maybe they were less obviously about trauma because people were suppressed i will say this goes back to a conversation we were having before which is Horror is be- and other genre is best at coming at topics sideways. Yeah. So I do think sometimes movies suffer because they want to go more directly at their topic. Yes. And you actually, I think, lose some discursive power if you look too straight at the topic. Because the power of horror is you can explore something without having to say its name. You know, that you can really be talking about something else and, like, uh, exercising those demons without having to name them in the most direct way. Yeah, yeah. It is something that I think has become more of an issue over the last few years. Maybe it's because, I mean, it might speak to what you were just saying, that we're all in a somewhat traumatized state, whether it be because of politics, whether it be because of the fact that we've just gone through a global pandemic and are continuing to go through it. I mean, there's a lot, and I feel like we're going to be seeing the remnants of that in films over the next couple of years, and it'll be interesting to see how filmmakers handle it. I feel like we're going to be seeing a lot of epidemic movies that are just going to be intolerable <laughs> over the next two years or so. That's very possible. I, I Again, I think we can explore those feelings that maybe the world is less reliable than we thought it was. Right. I think that could be explored without directly making pandemic movies. I want to make it clear. I think Sensor is a very, very good movie. I think it's an incredibly impressive movie. As I mentioned, the performances are great. And the, the visual style is... I really like the way that the recreations of these movies are... They're winky in a very, very light way, but they're not... 
they're not making jokes, right? They look like the movies of those eras, and I think that's that's really impressive on another level, even outside of the, the playing with the aspect ratio aspect and the the kind of separation of reality and fantasy that occurs in the film. I really do think that it, it is a, a really interesting and a lot of fun. My complaint about it not having enough meat on the bones, it's just how I was left by the ending. It really is a, a film that it felt like it was heading towards something that was going to be blow away, and I was left thinking, oh, okay. I mean, that's it's scary and it's uh and it it it's interesting but it just is exactly the kind of place i was expecting and for a movie that that was constantly taking me in odd directions it felt a little safe at the end yeah i agree I, again I, I don't want to ruin it for anyone because maybe that's going to be their favorite part but for my taste the ending was not what i wanted it to be and and honestly like i think that um i don't know it it didn't it didn't get under my skin in a way that I, I, I think the movie would stick with me. So, like, uh, if I watch it again, I probably would enjoy it, but I'm not going to think about this movie later in a way that sometimes uh, my favorite horror movies really do get under my skin. Yeah, which, again, is not to suggest that I'm not interested in what the filmmaker does next because I'm keeping a very close eye on her career at this point. This is a movie that has so much... Potential and all and, you know and realized potential on yeah, screen yeah. that I'm I'm really interested to see that with the cachet that the success of this movie has had that uh, hopefully that she takes a big swing on her next movie. I agree, Liam. Two yes. very interesting, very unique horror films for the year 2021. I just want to finish up here. I just want to ask you: Do you think horror is doing well in the year 2021? I mean, we're we're all. I mean, we were just talking about our, kind of our shared trauma. It probably is a good time for people, or maybe a bad time, depending on your point of view, for people to experience these uh, safer versions of horror, um, as safer in the sense that at least we can have some sort of distance from them. Where do you think horror is as we end the year 2021? I mean, I think as any time, there could be some trends that are less enjoyable than others. Sure. Um, I think I, I have no problem with people. Uh, making more political horror, uh, but I, I I do think that sometimes folks are coming at things so directly that they're trying to like win an argument with their movie, and, and yeah. that's just not really compelling art to me. Um, uh, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe someone's going to crack that code, so I, I don't want to be too judgmental on that. Uh, but I think, despite there being some trends that I don't love. Um, Overall, I think every year there's a few more horror movies that I think are really great. Uh, overall, I'm a past-looking horror fan, and I'm not afraid. I don't think that makes me a bad person to say that. Like, sure, my ideal time is the '70s and '80s. You know, some highlights in the '90s. You know, um, but the way that I stretch that is, I wouldn't say forcing myself, but you know, encouraging myself to spend more time watching new horror than just re-watching old horror. And it's been pretty successful. I get why some folks maybe are over new horror movies, that there are just some trends that really bum them out. But maybe it's because of the volume of horror I end up consuming, which is, right, right. you know, not crazy, but, you know, a good chunk. I always find something that I love. I always find every year some new stuff that I think is really special. So as long as that's the case, then I'm going to feel good about horror. I do I'm I'm I feel very similarly to you which is that I like the idea that there is a brain and a heart <laughs> in a lot of these films that we've been seeing recently I feel like we have overcorrected 
from films that have gone from being too vague to being too explicit in terms of the messages that they're trying to send. And maybe that overcorrection will just naturally work itself out over the next couple of years. I think there's been a loss of subtlety um, in, in not every film. I mean, we're speaking in vast generalities, but certainly when it comes to mainstream horror, that could probably use a little bit of correction. And I think we probably will see that. I like the diversity in the voices. That is something that we're really starting to see. It's you know There was a lot of concern about that five, six, seven years back where... Horror at that point still was a very male-centered, both in terms of audience and its creators, uh, in terms of films. And I really do think we are finally seeing a response to that. A lot of that kind of post-Get Out, post... Uh, I mean, I, I just watched um, Raw fairly recently for the first time. And it's such an incredible spectacle, an incredibly brave first film, knowing that uh, the Titan is up there, you know, blowing people's minds. There's a lot to look forward to. In the future, and I really, I'm I'm excited to see what's coming next. And I think that even, uh, I think there's always going to be a lot of filmmakers who are also looking back. There's still a lot of remakes and a lot of reimaginings coming out. But the original horror that we've seen over the last year and that we're going to be seeing over the next couple of years is what's got me really excited. Yep, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone, have a good day. Uh, wait, let, we actually have to do plugs. Maybe we should. Yeah, I was going to say, where are you going, Doug? What are we doing here? Hey, is what, when I don't have a structure. In, if people are go nuts. In, interested in this podcast or similar amazing podcasts <laughs> that are all part of the family, that is the Cinepunks uh, Podcast Network, as well as some great writing. We spent all of uh, October trying to promote some new writers, trying to encourage some of our old writers to write more. Uh, as of right now, we've been able to publish something every day in October, every weekday in October. Uh, I'm hoping we. I'm hoping by the time you hear this, we we kept that streak up. Um, so go over to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. You can check out not just the podcast, but some of the great writing there. There's also some merch if you're into that. You can also follow Cinepunks on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Same name, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. Just search for us and you will find us. Um, if you're interested in the archive of this podcast, you can head over to our website, uh, cinemasmorgasbord.com. Or if you just want updates about when episodes are coming out or what we're doing next you can follow us on twitter that's at cinema smorg s-m-o-r-g yeah and you can of course check out our variety of podcasts over at cinemasmorgasport.com including ones devoted to carol kane to jackie chan to dick miller and our recently launched george kennedy is my co-pilot uh podcast devoted to the life and work of actor george kennedy and you can also find as leah mentioned our entire archive there why don't you leave us a review on the podcast provider of your choice you can follow liam on twitter at liam rules that's r-u-l-z and i'm on there as well at doug underscore tilly that's t-i-l-l-e-y but for now liam we got to put the spooky season behind us and get ready for the holiday season coming up you excited for that you excited for putting up the christmas tree no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure some of our listeners are excited. Uh, we're going to be back again with another horror classic very soon. Good night, everybody. Night, night. Night, night.